Hey everyone, welcome back to Fearless as Fuck the podcast. I'm your host, Christina Lauren. We have an amazing, badass female on the show today who I'm really excited to interview. Um, her name is Michaela Gordon. She was a season four top 10 American Idol finalist and the host of the first national LGBTQ morning show. And she has an incredible story and I'm just so excited to welcome her onto the podcast. Hi. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm. So, can I just tell you, I love you. I love your hustle. I love I love your grind. I love your podcast. I'm so happy to be here. I love being a woman and other women, but you're so empowering. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. This is just a really good example, too, of the positive powers of social media because you and I met through Instagram. Yeah. And I feel like some of my closest, like, soul, soul, soul connections have actually come from social media and just connecting with other females who are like minded and entrepreneurial and just following their dreams and their goals. And there's such negativity like in the social media world. If you just go into someone's comments on a viral video, mm -hmm. you can see for yourself how toxic and disgusting it can possibly be. Mm -hmm. But then you also find these pockets of people who find each other and talk about how great it is to connect with other people who are doing the work and showing their expression on social media and just spreading love and positivity. Mm -hmm. And so I was really glad when you and I connected. To be honest, I don't even know how that happened, but that's think, just divine connection. <laughs> I think I started following you. I think you did an interview with somebody that I knew. And then I went on. I was like, oh, my God, I love her. And so then I just followed you. And then you followed me back and we became buddies. We have mutual friends. Yeah, I love and this. And I love that. Yeah, and for those of you who... Um, are listening, we actually, one of our good friends, well, you're a really good friend, and one of my first mentors are the same person. Yeah. And we were just talking about that before the show aired and how special that person was to me for many reasons, and we shared that. So it's just a small, small world. Yeah. But I'd love to hear more about your story, because I, I know briefly a little bit about you, like what I said in the intro, but I'd love to kind of hear about how you wound up here in Vegas, because you also just moved here, which is really exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I'm from Vegas originally. And I grew up in Vegas and um, I grew up in a rough neighborhood if we're going all the way back. <laughs> um, and so I learned really early on that I would sort of need to take care of myself and take care of my brother. And so I did the Vegas scene. I started singing really young. Um, I sang at all the casinos, all the pageants. It wasn't even <clears throat> forced by my mom. She was sort of not present. So I was like, I'm going to do my thing. I don't know how it, it, it came about. Maybe it was a survival skill. I don't know. But I, um, I just knew that I wanted to be something and like do something with my life. And so I remember kind of what started my grind was when I turned 15 here in Vegas, you can work, you can get a job. And I got a job at the Oxygen Bar at the New York, New York, which is so Vegas. So Vegas. And <laughs> the most Vegas thing you can do besides working at one of those. What do you get when those, that Tuesday? Okay. <laughs> That's a very Vegas I thing. But I was 15. They wouldn't hire me. <laughs> um, and I worked next to Coyote Ugly. And I was like, oh, those girls have that bomb. Like, I want to be Coyote Ugly. And I, I worked there. And the money that I made paid my tuition to go to Gorman, which is a Catholic high school out here. Um, because the school that I was zoned for was in a really bad area. And so I kind of knew at that moment that I was like, just capable. I went into this Catholic school really poor. Uh, I got made fun of and I left a varsity cheerleader with a lot of friends. I think that I just always 
had a very resilient quality. I could make anything work for me, more so just because I had to. Um, and so I, I did well. I was the number one sales girl at the company. And then American Idol came along and I was like, this is it. This is my ticket. It's going to get me out of Vegas. It's going to get me in a good financial position for me and my brother. And uh, I went on to do American Idol. And it was a crazy experience. Um, I had just turned 16. And that really catapulted my career. I left. I moved to L.A. Um, and I sort of never looked back. It's crazy, too, because it takes a lot of balls to go on a show like that. It takes a lot of it takes a lot of courage to understand like what you are capable of and actually put yourself out there for you know criticism and especially on like a TV show where you're opening yourself to the pub, up to the public and it's just like social media is now and you do that on a regular basis but getting the nerve to go on something like that takes a lot but I think that there's a lot of people who know deep down inside that they have something and that's what pushes them to do that and I think that takes a lot of tenacity to to know you're capable of more but I think being fueled by some kind of trauma or pain usually is a is a good catalyst to like push you even oh, more. No, I love trauma. It is <laughs> I love truly trauma. the thing that is the wind beneath my wings. Um, yeah, it's crazy. You know, I haven't really opened up about this so much, um, but my mother's partner, her girlfriend at the time, uh, died of a drug overdose the day before I was supposed to leave for Idol, and she was my guardian. And so I had to take my mom, who was getting treated at a mental institution, with me, and sort of have her be my guardian. And then, yeah, I, I was putting myself in front of America and I was deeply critiqued. Um, it was like when the message boards were on fire, social media didn't exist yet. Um, but I think that what kept my focus was, although so much was happening, I, I wasn't gonna end up a statistic. Like I wasn't gonna end up being anything other than what I wanted. And not that there's anything wrong with, you know, any type of jobs, but like, I didn't want to do drugs. I didn't want to grow up where I was raised. And so even though the criticism was rough, I didn't even hear, like, I was like, I'm here for me and my brother. Like, I've got you. I'll play it. I'll be funny. I'll do my thing. And that really was the thing that always just kept me and still going, you know? Right. So what happened after American Idol? Um, so I got offered a job right after I left the show to host American Idol Extra. Um, I had just turned 17 and I had never hosted. See, this is all happening so young too, but I feel so like young. you probably were forced to grow up a little fast. Oh yeah. You know I was I mean? already like 48 years yeah. old by the time I was seven. I had like a cigarette. I was like, let's go baby. <laughs> Let's go. You know? <laughs> I don't think there was ever. A like time I've been where through like, all of okay. this already. I was like, "Let's go, Sam." <laughs> to my brother, um, dated, been married already. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I was young when the opportunity came. Um, I had also just gotten hired to field correspond for the Tyra Banks show, um, and I loved it. Like I had no idea how to host, um, but I've never let anything that I didn't know how to do stop me like I I don't know if it's like a toxic trait but I feel like I can do anything so I but like, is it really toxic if there's out. something inside you that's so confident that you're like if I don't know how to do it I'll figure it out yeah I don't think that can be toxic yeah in a way where you're like I just I'm gonna figure it out I'm gonna learn how to do it something yeah. will teach me something will come along like 
you just kind of figure it out as you go. I mean, that's <laughs> I've always kind of thrown myself to the wind sometimes. Like, yeah. I'll just figure it out. It's a little, yeah. it makes kind of want to throw up thinking about it. But no, <laughs> I'll figure it out. I know. <laughs> I know. It does. But, you know, I think that, like, I've never had anything to lose. So if I didn't do it right. What's the care. worst thing that can happen? Mm-hmm. You start over? Yeah. Again? <laughs> at 17. I yeah. start over at 17. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I booked it and I, I went on to um, to be a guest star on Fran Drescher's show, Living with Fran, where I played her cousin. And then I started getting into acting and life kind of just rolled itself out. Um, when I turned 21 is the time when like, life started hitting me. I think that all of that courage that I had started to turn into really bad anxiety. I'd been living alone at that point in LA uh, since I had been 16. I didn't really have anybody who was checking on me or watching out for me. I mean, honestly, it's a blessing that like I just had a good moral code because I could have turned out as anything. Having all that freedom, having that money I made for myself after never having any money. And so <clears throat> I remember there was a turning point where I was like, I'm just not doing good. So I went, I was signed to the biggest agency in LA and I went to them and said, listen, I'm <clears throat> just having a hard time and I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to audition. I don't want to put myself out there. I <clears throat> need to regroup. And uh, my agent said that was cool. She was disappointed. And I think that is something that I still think about just because I adored her. But it was sort of a a form of like self-protection. And then I became a waitress. And I loved waitressing. And I people are like, oh, you just became a wait. And I'm like, I hate that stigma. As a waitress myself right now on the side, like that stigma bothers me so bad to this day. Listen to me. I can't say it enough. I waitressed at an Irish bar. I loved it. I made so much money. It's fun. I had so many girlfriends that are still my lifers. I had a community that took care of me in ways that I couldn't because I was so young. And it was my best uh, it that was the thing that then ended up setting me up for stand-up comedy because every night I would have to work different tables. I don't even know if I was that good of a waitress. I just made a lot of money because they'd let me make them laugh. I'd be like, I got to try this one on you. And they'd be like, okay. And so I learned about all different types of people, all different types of, of reactions. And I loved it. And I was happy doing it. And then... Um, my career kind of just kept calling me back. I got a residency, uh, at Hard Rock Casinos. So I traveled all over, but I always held on to that waitressing gig and I loved it. It's just so good to have in your back pocket for support. Yeah. And I loved it. It was a safe place for me. You know, it was like, I needed the mental break as well. I had been thinking and working and hustling for so long, even just as a little girl, protecting my brother, protecting myself, you know, being raised in a home where there was a lot of drugs and alcohol. And I think that that was a a job for me that I could just be, and it Mm -hmm. was just easy. And then I continued getting hired for things and I, you know, did what I was doing and And then I got a big opportunity to have a residency in Vegas. Um, And I took it. It was at the Sayers Club 
right when it opened at the SLS at the time. I remember that place. Uh (laughs) Yeah, it had just opened and I was singing in L.A., and they said, listen, we're going to have you uh, come to Vegas with the rest of the band. And, um, you know, you sing. It's 30 minutes to you singing, 30 minutes the DJ. And I was like, cool. And that's where I met my partner now. Um, she's a DJ. And I was like, oh, my God, I love her. I'm in love. Mm. And so I got offered a residency at the Cosmopolitan. And... That sort of fully transitioned me from all my gigs in LA, my stand up, all of that to just coming here to Vegas. And I had a residency for a few years here in Vegas and I loved it and it felt good to be back home. Um, I met my now fiance, that was eight years ago. And, um, you know, it's been quite the journey. And it's crazy. I'm sure it's great to look back on when you kind of see it full circle and can kind of see how everything has set you up to wind up back into a position. I find that a lot of people get caught up in their stories when they get to a position like, I don't know why life is taking me this direction or I feel stuck or I feel this. And it's really cool if you can like take a step back and just kind of go on for the ride and just understand that there's potentially something in your life path right now that's setting you up for success for something else in the future. And if you don't look deeply enough, you'll kind of miss it. So staying present and just being open to this is my path. I'm going to figure it out. You you do get set up where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Like, did you ever think you'd wind up back here doing all of that? You know, I didn't. I ended up, we left Vegas a few years ago and I started hosting a national LGBTQ morning show and that was amazing. And we're back here now because life is lifing. And yeah. to exactly what you said, you know, just a month and a half ago, my life was so different. I um, had my full national morning show. I had a whole life in LA. I had my house, I had everything. And in the 60 days that have passed, I got laid off in December just because media isn't what it used to be. Radio isn't what it used to be. Uh, We left L.A. I'm living with my mother-in-law as we wait for the house in Vegas to be ready. You know, my dog just passed away. I got engaged. I just turned 35. So it's I'm in such a different place, you know, maybe than I thought it would look like. Um, and I'm overwhelmed. I mean, to be honest, I'm so overwhelmed. I love crying and I'm doing a lot of it right now. You sound Sometimes like me. in my car. Okay. <laughs> All the time. I had that conversation with myself the other day because I turned 35 too recently and this isn't what I thought my life would look like at 35. Not to say I'm not happy. Can we just Let- say this quickly? When I say, or you say, I didn't see it like this. There's no regrets here. Nothing. I just didn't see it like this. Right. So yeah. you're looking at something completely different. It's I I wouldn't take anything back to wind up to no. where I'm at at all. Even if it's confusing, even if it's like chaotic or uncertain or any of those things, but it isn't what I thought it would be. And I think that's like a hard thing to get out of your head when you grew up or you imagined something else at a certain age, you kind of get stuck with that. Like I remember when I used to think 35 was old, first of all, can I just take that back? Right. Can, <laughs> can we take it all, run it back? I don't, I wish I never even thought that. Cause I actually feel the best I've ever felt in my life. Yeah. I feel like I probably even look younger than I did when I was in my twenties. So oh, I'm, yeah. I take back that statement, but I also imagined 
I'd be married with kids in a house I purchased at 35. And I had that image stuck in my head for so long that when it wasn't achieved, I felt bad. And I think that we do that a lot with things, not just an age and a marriage and kids and a house and whatever. Like we stamp this idea of what something should be like and it kills your dreams. Yeah. It It, does. I think that that's why I like to say how old I am and where I'm at, because I feel like I was with a guy from 21 to 27. And people are like, well, when did you come out? When did you know you were gay? My first girlfriend, person, partner was a girl when I was 14. I knew really early on that I preferred women. Um, That's just what I, how I felt. And then I did American Idol. There was no time. I wasn't dating anybody. I was trying to be famous and like take care of myself. And then when I did start dating, there's a whole other world in lesbian world. And when I was 21, they were not that nice to me. And they thought I was this straight girl trying to like be intrusive into that world because there wasn't. But why? Because a lot of, I think that, <clears throat> let me say how I'm going to say this. I think that a lot of lesbians don't feel that they need to do, at the time, at least when we were like 21, it was a lot of just like natural hair, not a lot of makeup, like being free, not living up to the stereotypes of what a woman should look like. Unfortunately for me, I've always been a drag queen. Like I've always had a whole ass weave and lash it. This is before like, this is just who I am. (laughs) Was orange when I was 15 trying to figure out spray tan. Okay. Like I have always been this bitch. And I think that I was just really misunderstood in the community. And it wasn't me trying to placate to men. But I also understood that that's sometimes what it was. Like it was misconstrued. It just was. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, Good. I hate women. Perfect. I'll never date you. I hate you back. Thank you. And then I met this amazing guy and he was amazing and he's still amazing. He'll never listen to this because he hates me, but he oh was amazing. And, you know, it was nice. I grew up never feeling safe, never feeling protected. I didn't never really feel loved. And he was that person for me to introduce me to that. And... It was only that I realized we were coming to a crossroads of I'm about to make a life with him. And I just couldn't. Like, I just knew I wanted to be with women and I didn't know how that was going to look. But I knew that that was not going to be my journey. I was 27 when that happened. And so it ended badly. Um, And, you know, that was the first time, though, that I had to really, really, not the first time, but the first time in a while that I had to be like, I'm not doing this for any of you. Like I'm walking away, this is gonna maybe look like a shit show. It's gonna be what it is. I'm not giving any explanations. Like here's where I'm at. And, um, And that was rough. Well, I'm sure that's a hard thing to decipher too because we touched on it a little bit before the show. You mentioned that there's men that think that you just turned lesbian because you were scorned by a man. Mm -hmm. But then you explain that you dealt with women, lesbian women, making you feel bad about you. I still wanted them. Pretending, you know what I mean? So it puts you stuck into a position where you're like, I'm actually just trying to be honest with myself. Yeah. And (laughs) y'all have these different ideologies of like what you think that I am. And I'm literally just trying to be true to myself. Yeah, I I think it was a difficult position. I had lesbian women, at least who I was meeting, that wanted nothing to do with me. I had straight men feeling like it was a situation where it would just be a hot threesome. Like there was so much, and I, you know, I 
I have a difficult time with sexuality anyway. I was sexually abused when I was 20. Um, and I've done therapy. We've gotten through it. I feel empowered. But there was a lot of messiness when it came to my sexuality, my feminine, my masculine, where I sort of resided. And <clears throat> making that decision was difficult. I got a lot of different feelings, but I stayed true to myself. I stayed, you know, uh, doing what I needed to, and I was with Lisa. And so I say all of that to say, I literally do take whatever path I want to. I've never fallen into the trap of like, I need to be pregnant by 35. I need to be married by 35. I've never listened to anybody. And that's been a con, but it's also been a pro. I don't fall into the stereotypes. You know, I just got engaged a month ago and we've been together for eight years and I'm 35 and I'm going to get pregnant maybe in the next two years. So I'll be 37. Like there's just no timeline. And when you remove the timelines, it just makes it so much more fun and so much more you just being in the present moment because you're creating your reality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right too. There's not no one who followed the straight and narrow pathway actually ever made any independent success on their own without falling into someone else's narrative. Anybody who's broken a stigma or a stereotype has not listened. And I get what you said about it can be a con sometimes. Like, I'm not going to listen to anybody. Yeah, because people are like, are you just being rebellious? And I'm like, no, bitch, I'm just making a decision. Like, that's and good for me and you don't have to. You know, I have a lot of girlfriends that got pregnant and got married at, you know, 24. And they love it. And they're really happy. And they have mom clubs. And they, like, do really great things. And they're starting to sort of come into their own now as their children are getting more into their, like, teens. And I love that for them. I didn't want that. I never wanted to get pregnant in my 20s, ever. I wanted to be an older mom because I wanted to ride it out, live it out. By the time I had a kid, I wanted to be like, I've done it all. I feel solid. And now we're in such a beautiful time. I mean, look at Rihanna. She just did the Super Bowl, nine months pregnant with her second baby. Like we're not living in a time where you can't have it all as a woman either. Right. And we've evolved so much. And there's, I think there's like a big stigma too of, I don't want to say just men, but like people wanting women to stick in this like traditional unevolved role. And it's really hard for me to wrap my head around because I've literally had someone basically assault me on a pod, uh, assault, insult me on a podcast saying that you're pretty much ruined. You're 35 and single. Well, I'm not single, but you're 35 and not married with no kids. Like you're worth, you don't really have anything. And it's like, what is that how, worth based on? How is that, so how is that worth? even a thing? And you know, there's so much content going around about like what a high value man is and what a high value woman is now. And I feel like it's really misconstrued because women are being deemed used and like used up goods, essentially, if you have not had kids or been married by 26 years old. And I'm like, where the fuck are these statistics coming from? And these numbers like, and opinions coming you, from? And I'm like, I don't know where that's coming from. I literally was like jaw dropped when I heard these statements basically was told if you have had over six partners, if you are over 26, if you are this, 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 and this, you're not gonna six die. partners. You yeah. beg house. Oh, God forbid. And like, and you're going to die alone with your cats. And I'm like, well, first of all, I have a dog. So <laughs> I'm allergic <laughs> and to And you cats. might be getting a second golden retriever. Yeah. So there's two dogs. For the record. But it's, it's just such an insulting thing when I feel like women are so empowered now to find their own way. And we're not in the sixties anymore where we can actually live 
on our own and be self-sufficient and be okay. And it was like, well, everything that you've done up to this point is not admirable and doesn't matter to a man. Like, you know, let me put my like straight hat on for a second. Cause I do also feel like maybe I am at an advantage being with another woman because there's just a lot of like empathy. There's a lot of grace. There's a lot of, um, I have to say though, I never have, I did date men and I dated really, really good men. I, God was like, you had a real toxic childhood, so I'm just going to bring good people now. And I did. Like, I loved all the men that I dated, and, and they were all very supportive. When I started my stand-up, when I did my music, every, like they were good guys. And I was past 26. I think that I, I know the guy that you're talking about, and I just think he's such a piece of shit. But um, above that... I think that men just project. We're living in a time, I saw this article the other day where they were like, uh, we're killing our men. We're, we're emasculating all of our men. And I do agree with that to an extent. I do. I feel bad for some men because we're like, you're not shit. You can't do anything. I can do it on my own. I've got this. And I do think that's the wrong approach. I do think that men are important and I do think that they're valued. And, and I would never want somebody to talk to my brother like that. And if they did, I'd beat their ass. Like, don't like, don't talk to my dad like that. You know, um, I think there's a way to say to your man, like, I value you. I honor you. I appreciate you. I'm also so capable of these things. I also need you. And let the conversation be had on both sides. You right. Know? That's like that duality is healthy. Yeah. But I don't feel like people are having that conversation too, because you can be both. You can be like both independent and like honor yourself, honor your careers and your passions, but still be in a healthy like relationship. But it, it just seems like it's just very one-sided and not a lot of people are talking about how to have the healthy balance because I agree with you too. Like I think there are a lot of men who are getting beaten the fuck down, mm -hmm. never feel like they're heard, never feel like they're, they can express themselves because it's like, it's feminine or, you know, we emasculate the shit out of them. So yeah. like there has to be some kind of balance, but it is amazing to see that we are in a place where like women can do a lot of really amazing things and that doesn't make them like a crazy feminist because that that is the other side of the toxicity too is when yeah. we feel like we don't need each other like people need people in general and we need to be better like that's just that's just all it is but um it's hard too because i think when you put your opinion out there on social media too or even like your relationship you're literally putting it up to be like attacked yeah have you dealt with any like social media issues yeah, I mean, I deal with social media all the time. You know what I'm saying? For me, my full transparency, it just doesn't bother me anymore. Only because I have just gotten to a place where I do accept where people are coming from. And I really do believe it has nothing to do with me. Having said that, it really used to fucking bother me. And I really had to take multiple breaks. Um, but that's also thanks to therapy. I mean, I remember... Look, me and Lisa are all engaged now and so in love. We've always been in love. But I grew up with zero communication skills. I grew up Italian. You're not allowed to cry. I grew up with um, a very narcissistic parent who also gave us the silent treatment. Like there was no, um, there was a lot of romanticizing suicide on her part. So it made emotions for me very difficult and not something I wanted to deal with. While I was also simultaneously very emotional and had a lot of feelings. So with Lisa... 
Lisa loved me so much in the beginning and I didn't know how to deal with that kind of love. It was very unconditional. It was very supportive and I really pushed her away. I fought with her. I was um, I was testing her. I was doing all the things that you do that I'm not proud of, but I did them. And I, cause I didn't feel like I was worthy of that kind of love. I, I didn't know what to do with it. And then in the pandemic, I lost my grandma who was like my girl, my grandma. She was the closest thing to like my mom. And I feel like every emotion I ever had growing up, it like erupted like lava. Like I went into such a dark place. I remember not even wanting to wake up, like going to sleep and being like, God, if you don't wake me up, I'm so good. Like I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And I just was having a very difficult time, so much to the point that I did have to go to therapy. And I started therapy, and it was really hard. And I didn't want to go back. I was I was so uncomfortable. And then I had to invite Lisa. And Lisa then started doing therapy. And then we had to start doing couples therapy. And at the time that we started doing therapy, I didn't know if we were going to make it. And it really had nothing to do with Lisa but it was so many years of not knowing how to communicate, more so on, on my part. And um, it really was like the breaking point for us. And then we did the therapy and then we did the things and then it was really hard and then it was really great and then it was really hard again. And then it was like, fuck, I, you know, every, nobody had jobs. Nobody, they, everything was gone. There, nobody had anything except time. And so when I started the therapy journey three years ago, I really had to like do a lot of healing on a lot of things. And it just put me in a place now where I just really don't give a fuck what anyone thinks about me. And it's not in like an ego way. It's an, it's anything but an ego way. I am so adamant on honoring that 16-year-old who was so in survival and so strong who worked so hard to get us on this reality show when everything was falling apart. She's the only person I have anything to prove and the only person I care to make happy. And that is how I live my life now. And so I am a whole ass 35, holy ass living with my mother-in-law, holy ass carrying a fake Louis Vuitton bag because I sold all my fucking Louis Vuittons so I could start this friggin' thing I'm trying to do. And will I be good? Yeah, bitch, I'm always going to be good because I'm good. Do you know what I'm saying? And I don't listen to anybody. But when you're that like in touch with yourself, like you can say that so confidently. And when you're like owning it, you're like, I'm whole assing everything yeah. that is about my life. Mm -hmm. And how can someone take anything away from you if you own what you're going through? continually and genuinely. Well, and that's like, what it is. Like I used to be very self-deprecating. I'd make fun of myself before you could. So then I was funny. It takes like the edge off. Cause you're like, I got this before you can even like touch yeah, me. Yeah. 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 Like I know I have all these flaws. So let me, and that was really the whole stem of my standup was I would just make fun of myself and we would laugh. And I still do. I'm very self-deprecating still because um, I'm in on the joke I don't take myself that seriously anymore. But also, in a more mature side, I do own it. I, I do own everything 
where I'm at and I'm not ashamed of it and I'm not embarrassed and I wouldn't do anything differently. And so when you do come from that place and like, trust me, I'm still like insecure about things and I've got my issues and whatever, but you're human. I mean, we are just, we're just doing this human experience and I'm going to make sure I do it to my liking. Right. And that does take the power back a little bit too. Yeah. By not in like a, a control power way, but like you have power over it because you're owning your story. You know, and that's, that's what Bryn did for me. I will never forget it. She made me, I was like, I could not stop crying. Like it was like a cry that I have never experienced before, but she helped me get back to a meditative state where I was able to go back and forgive and love on the version of myself that needed the most help. And it was interesting because you normally would think that you'd go back to like your childhood or something super young. But for me, it was like just my younger 27, 28, 29 year old self, like in the last like five or six years or so. And that girl that was so broken and beaten down and the girl that I couldn't stand up for back then became the person that I needed to prove myself now to and honoring that person, forgiving that person, loving that version of myself helped me own what I went through. And I wasn't embarrassed anymore. I wasn't ashamed of it. I started talking about it because I would, I kept everything to myself because it was so painful and it was so embarrassing. And like, in my mind, it was so embarrassing. Like, oh my God, my ex was doing this and this and this and I stayed with them and mm-hmm. I forgave them. I gave them another chance. It like fucked up my mental health. All of this was hiding behind the scenes of this like outwardly projected relationship on Instagram that in reality was not it at all. Yeah. And I, I, hel- I hid behind this mask. And so how am I supposed to show up on social media as a coach, as a mentor, as an athlete with all of this baggage I had this image in my head that I couldn't do that because you aren't who you said you are. But I was like, no, Christina, you're exactly who you said you are. You just went through some fucking trauma. So own it, forgive yourself and move forward and share your story. And I realized the second that I did that, I'm like, oh my God, like you're afraid y'all got nothing on me because this is exactly who I am and I'm okay with it now. Yeah. But you also have to think about it like this. Like you tell me, like, you're like, I let this motherfucker do A, B, and C. And I'm so embarrassed. And I was a coach and this happened to me. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh my God, I love her even more. She's been through the shit. So now she can get me through the shit. Right. As opposed to somebody who's so perfect. For me, I know that me going, um, yeah, life is really difficult right now. And da, 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 da. You're not thinking oh my god she's so 35 living with her mother-in-law loser you're like oh I love this bitch she's relatable got it cool and I feel like that's the same for asking help like you have to think if someone came to you with their information would you judge them no, no. And that's like sacred You'd be like, I, can I hold you like yes. a fucking baby <laughs> like I love you hi what do you need And that's how people genuinely, I feel, react. And for me this year, I've had to ask for a lot of help. And I hate asking for help. I can just do it by myself. But I have to ask for help now. And whether it's an idea, whether it's a whatever. And so I'm just like, okay, can you help me with this? It's been the best two months of my life. My friends are showing up. People I love are showing up. And you know what? It makes me feel good. It makes me feel empowered. And it makes them feel empowered. You like to show up for people. You like to show up for people. I like to show up for people. Like it's a win-win for everybody, you know? 
Yeah. But I will beat your ex's ass. And it, <laughs> so he's he's getting his. It, it's it. it's alright. Karma karma Good. karma doesn't miss at all. Good. Um but you know, there is a like an art of forgiveness, I think, that I also didn't understand for a while. Um, you know, people always say, like, you have to forgive the person that hurts you to be able to move on. Um, and for me, you know, dealing with a narcissist, it's a little different because you can't have the same kinds of conversations and expect it to get anywhere if the person that you're speaking to is manipulative. You know what I mean? So I had to do a lot of forgiveness on my own and understand that like, I forgive this person for putting me through something that I don't even think they're aware of, or if they are, that's that's on them, but I had to forgive myself more so for trusting and believing, but also understanding that I'm a loving person and I believe in forgiveness. And that's why I forgave so many times inside the relationship. How many times I gave someone a second or third or even fourth chance because I'm like, you know what? I think you made a mistake. I'm going to, I'm going to respect what you're telling me Mm -hmm. and believe what you're telling me. And I think that's where I know I can forgive. But in the very end, when you do me so dirty, that I just have to end it and detach this and literally cut this cord so severely and like rid myself of this energy that I don't even want to breathe the same air as this person anymore. That shows me that I'm just done and this person does not deserve a position in my life to suck anything more out of me. So it wasn't that I couldn't forgive in the end. It's that I've done so much forgiveness that I'm tapped. Like yeah. I'm, just, I'm just tapped out. And I think recognizing that made me feel better and moving on because I'm like, why can't I forgive? Why can't I forgive? People are telling me that like, I haven't moved on because I haven't forgiven. Then I'm like, no, I did many times. Yeah. But it just became to a point where you have to know what's best for you and move on. And I interview a lot of girls who are stuck in toxicity or go back to toxicity many times. And I tell them the same thing, like you're going to know when you're done. But it's- well, And you know, I think something that's helpful, I haven't had a toxic physical relationship. My mom has been my most difficult uh, relationship. And I, t- just full transparency, I'm having a hard time forgiving her still after with everything. And I don't want it to be like that. Obviously, forgiveness, as we know, like heals you. We've read the books. We've done the shit. I know, but I don't care. I don't yeah. want to. <laughs> and so someone gave me a really great perspective. And they said, you know, if you're not finding yourself being able to do something, just say, I'm willing to. And so every day I just say, I'm willing to forgive her. Obviously, it's difficult for me because past the anger is just a lot of sadness and grief and I'm grieving it. And so I'm just willing to forgive her and I'm willing to give myself the time and space that it takes to do so. Right. And that has taken a lot of pressure off of me when it comes to forgiveness because it's so fucking hard. Yeah. And there's no like direct timeline of what it can take. Like, okay, you've been past this trauma for a year now. Are you good now? You're like, I don't, I don't know when I'm going to get to the point of being like, I'm cool, you know, but thinking that you have to have a timeline on when you forgive somebody is really tough. I think that adds the pressure you're talking about. Yeah. Because like, I should be over this. Well, what should anyway? Like how, like who says I should be over it within this amount of time? What if things keep resurfacing for me? And every time for me, something comes up, I ask myself like, am I, is there something else I'm supposed to see, to understand about this process, about myself? And is that the reason why I haven't gotten to a full place of forgiveness yet? 
So I try and examine that and do self-examination all the time, but it's really hard because I'm sure like you'll understand, like things pop up out of nowhere and you're like, fuck, that made me so angry. And you think back, like, why is this making me so angry? And it might bring up like a certain memory or a certain thing you haven't thought of in a long time. And you're like, damn, that's, that's still fresh. Yeah. That wound's still open. Listen, I can't tell you how many fake conversations I have about a situation that is now spiraling in my head in the car to myself. I'm like, (laughs) I would have said this and that if I could go back and do it again. But I think that sometimes the lesson too is just for me, because also like I love to overthink and overanalyze. And I've had to learn that sometimes things are just what they are. Like it is just what it is. And that's okay. Like, I don't have to um, figure out why or where it started. You don't have to dig too deep. Yeah. If for the healing of it all, sometimes the healing is just having that control and discipline over your mind to say, I don't know why. Yeah. And that's okay. Because it, it wasn't about me. So I have to like, move the fuck on yeah that's you a know. really good point too because i think people really do i know and i speak for yeah myself. i'm speaking for myself yeah, yeah i've gotten stuck in those positions too where i'm like man i'm digging really fucking deep and anal- psychoanalyzing the shit out of the reason why someone did this and i'm like what if they just did it like what if there wasn't like some crazy narrative about like what got them to this point what if they just wanted to do that and that was that was it yeah I mean, listen, sometimes it sucks because you don't have the answer and you want the answer. And then we're taught, do the work, do the work. I, th- I think sometimes do the work is as difficult as saying, you got to hustle, you got to hustle. Babe, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you've already done the work. Sometimes the work is just fucking letting it go and willing to move on. If those are the words you have to use, because I've, div- I've, I've dug myself 8,000 feet deep trying to figure out why something happened. And I'm just tired at the end of it. Like, yeah, my then you're like, I'm at the bottom of this hole. There's no fucking diamond. <laughs> I'm still as confused as I was. I should have just kept on walking, bitch. But, you know, you don't know until you try. Yeah. And so now you were mentioning that you're going to kind of take the the branch, the, the road to this podcast. <laughs> kind of going into what you mentioned, like mentioning, mentioning what you mentioned about using your comedy and using your trauma to kind of like make this podcast. And what is it? Is it more comedy based or is it more to talk about how utilizing comedy is a way of like processing trauma sometimes? Yeah, I think it's a very humorous take on something very serious. And that's what we need. We need some more like lighthearted just discussions about life's fucking life and it hurts sometimes and it's hard and it's difficult. But if we can realize that like this shit happens to everybody and maybe, I don't know, like take the pressure off thinking that we're burdens to ourselves for something really bad happening and we can kind of be relatable is the easier way to go. Well, and I think too, it's like, look, it sounds so much easier than sometimes it is. And maybe I am privileged in the sense that I have had no money, had a lot of money, had a lot of fame, had no fame, had a lot of death, had a lot of light. Like I can adapt anywhere because I know both sides of the coin. But it really is being like, who gives a fuck? Like literally, I was... 16 yesterday like when I turned 35 I was like fuck 
that went by fast. When my stupid fucking dog died this week, okay? And we're having a hard time with it. But it was like a decade that like almost the chapter was closed. And I was like, oh my God, I knew exactly where I was. Oh my God, I'm going to start to cry. so good. I'll cry too. <laughs> <laughs> it's only when I talk about my dog. <laughs> it just goes by fast. And sometimes you're reminded by a death. My grandma, so-and-so, whoever. Um, I wasted a lot of time wor- like worried. And I just... I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm not waiting for anybody. I'm not doing anything. I'm so proud of this podcast. I, I, it's called So Funny It Hurts. And I interview your favorite funny people and explore the trauma that made them that way. And it's really taking a look at the emphasis of like Robin Williams, why your Mm -hmm. favorite funny people take their own lives. You know, like what, where's the disconnect? Like what happened? And normalizing that like people who have it all don't. Like we're really all really digging in deep to see that like we're all the fucking same babe yeah and that doesn't even just go for like comedians that goes for everybody yeah i mean you just never know like like twitch like another like famous dancer and just all over bubbly personality like you would never think and i don't think that there's people who see them as just celebrities they don't think any deeper like oh they're fine like why that was selfish this that and the other like no one knows what people are going through. And you're right. It just makes you realize like we are all the same people. I don't care if you're famous or not. We all st- still struggle. Yeah. Even the people that you don't think would struggle who look like they have it all together. It's not like that. Well, and I think that's why I'm so transparent because, um, you know, I wish growing up I saw people that I thought were the most gorgeous or funniest or coolest or whatever be so transparent. Like people that I thought had it together, I would have loved for them to be like, I'm actually dying inside. Not that I want that for anybody, but it would have saved me a lot of what I went through. And so, you know, with this full transparency of where I'm at in my life now, by no means do I want to play victim or want empathy or sympathy. I don't want that at all. I'm just letting you know where I'm at so that you know where you're at. So you feel good. Like if you're struggling Social media is a bitch. It really is a highlight reel. And that's not what I want to to do anymore. Uh, even with like, I said jokingly, but not that I had sold my Louboutins and my fiance was like, okay, we're not like that, but you don't need to do that. And <laughs> she's I was like, like, babe, why are you going to the extreme she's right like, now? <laughs> okay, you're fr- and I am such an extremist. I'm like, everything's going now. But I also was like, I don't want this. I, I don't want these shoes anymore. I wanted the shoes when I was young and super poor and girls had them and I wanted them and couldn't afford them. And when I finally could, I went and I bought them and I was like, yes, I'm rich, bitch. You know, and now I'm like, no, I have a seven-year-old niece and I don't want her to carry designer. I mean, if she wants to, she can, but it's not about the designer bags. It's not about the whatever. It's about investing in yourself and taking the classes and loving yourself and being honest with yourself and 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 where you're at. And that's sort of just where I'm living now. You know, I just kind of want it to be what's the most important things. Is that kind of what you felt like contributed to like a quote unquote like ego death? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Everything's gone. Every- <laughs> I said, God, and- I have no ego left, babe. You took it. Like, what? And that's left? not even to say like, I think, well, when I say 
ego death. I don't want someone to think that like this person was full of themselves because that's not, that's not Mm -mm. it. That's not what happens. I mean, that, that could be a characteristic of somebody that's going through or was a characteristic of somebody who's going through it. But I think when your ego dies, you, you start realizing like what doesn't matter. Right. And it, you go through a humbling state like I feel like <laughs> I feel like I get punched in the face when I go through this and I thought it would only happen one time in my life. Oh no. No, it doesn't. Surprise Sur- surprise everyone listening. That was a million if you just punch me in the fucking mouth next time so I don't have to buy any more term. I would appreciate <laughs> at least let me have a win here, honey. <laughs> God, please give me something. <laughs> but yeah, I actually feel like I'm going through the same thing now. And that's why I thought it was so interesting when you mentioned that earlier, because it really does make you feel like life knocks you on the, your ass. Yeah. Like big time. Yeah. And it does. And I remember I went to, um, I sang in Israel in November and I got to go to the Wailing Wall. And it was a very spiritual experience. And I was so happy to be there. And, you know, I said my prayers and whatever. And you know, I said, you know, I want to level up God. Like I want to, I, I want to live to my highest potential. And I don't know how that looks, but that's what I want for myself. Girl, I lost everything. It's gone. Just You're gone. Right. You're like, I went back. They were like, your morning show's canceled. And I was like, great. And then they were like, rent's going up. And I was like, bye. And then I was like, bye, LA. And then Lisa's like, well, we have the house here, but we got to wait for the tenants. We're living with my mother-in-law. And I was like, I love this for me. But I also have to have the faith that I asked for that. Yeah. Like everything that I had wasn't my potential. So where am I going? So when I get afraid, I'm like, well, I asked for this. Essentially, we all do. Even when you're just manifesting and you're like, oh, I want this. Well, you can't have it if something is there. If if something's living here, you can't have your dream job because you already have a job. So it's the universe is like a vacuum. They like take it away so you can have what you really want. It's just like the fucking Hunger Games. If you're strong enough to survive, <laughs> then you'll have everything you want. And that it's survival l- is real. Yeah. And it's uh, it's hard because I think that we get stuck on like, holding on to some things really, really tough and nothing will happen until you let it go. And I had an experience like that right before I went up getting the courage to leave my past relationship that was like literally killing me, like killing me from the fucking inside out. And I finally had a breakdown where I was on my fucking knees crying and praying and asking for help. And I don't even know what got me. I was listening to a sermon that I I don't even go to, I don't go to church. I hadn't actually like been very like religious in years of my life, but something called me to listen to this message on YouTube because I saw a clip of it pop up on my algorithm on TikTok. Just their algorithms like really specific sometimes. And the message from Stephen Furtick was like, it hit me really hard. And so I looked up it on YouTube and I listened to the whole thing. And at the very end, it put us into this prayer. And I found myself literally on my fucking knees, just like I'm apologizing and like just surrendering to whatever it was. And I felt this like push on my shoulders. And I thought my ex had walked in the room. And I was like, and I gasped and I like stood up and no one was there. And I was like, fuck man, that was really weird. But in this like moment, I was just asking for guidance. I was asking for guidance. I was saying like, I'm so sorry that I didn't listen before, but like, I just need to know what to do. I need to know what's going on. Like I, I'm, I need help. I'm, I'm lost. And literally like that next week, it was like, 
boom, 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 boom. Here's this, here's this, here's this. Like, here's your proof. Here's a job. Like, here's some money. Like, I was so fucking broke. And here's an apartment. Like, just follow this, the footsteps. And I, yeah. everything led me out. But it, it wasn't until I gave up and I stopped trying to control what I thought was mine. Yeah. Which was like this engagement, this relationship, like, no, it's going to fucking work. Cause it has to work. Yeah. Like, no, Christina, it like it's fucking not working and you're just holding on to it for dear life. And that was a really eye opening experience. And like religious or not just asking for guidance. Yeah. yeah. The is universe, real. whatever, any kind of faith you have, and yeah. you know, don't get stuck in the silence. And I think that that's like, once it's all taken away, it's very easy to be like, Fuck, I, I'm, I gotta be busy. I gotta do something. I have to distract. I love distracting. My favorite thing in the whole in entire world is to distract myself from uh, fucking anything, which is probably why I've always had 8 million jobs and I work all the time. God, you sound like me. Okay, so that's, <laughs> our, so are we going there? So this time around, I'm not taking any work. I'm chilling. I'm just sitter, I'm literally, I'm literally just sitting in silence which is very uncomfortable for me. Oh, yeah. Not only do I talk a lot, I do a lot. I do all the things. So you're like, how do you expect me to sit still? Oh, so I'm just here, just in my fucking mother-in-law's like this. Okay, bitch, whatever. But the downloads that I'm allowing myself to receive are so much more than when I'm just on my hustle, taking on gigs or doing the things or sh meeting people that I think I'm supposed, like, don't, be afraid of that fucking silence. It's so uncomfortable, but it's part of that work of, if, of doing nothing is the work. Yeah. And when you're silent, I think you can hear things more clearly and yeah. like hear your thoughts more clearly, but also hear the messages that you're supposed to get more clearly. Like, how are you supposed to listen if you are distracting and disassociating? Mm -hmm. I'm saying this like it's so easy because this is my this is my toxic trait, too. I yeah. know this about myself. Like I'm listening to your story and it's so fucking wild because I literally feel like we're parallel up to the point from like years ago. And yeah. I can see exactly like where I've wound up and why I wound up there. And that's why I also think sharing stories is so important, like you were saying, because you realize like, oh my God, I'm not the only person going through this. Yeah. I'm not the only person that's experienced like this. I'm not crazy. This is just like, this is part of my journey and this is what I'm supposed to learn. But disassociating and staying busy are trauma responses. Yeah, completely. And that was a really hard thing for me to grasp when it was first told to me because I'm like no I just like being busy and <laughs> I mean yes yeah yes to a degree but to the point where like I can't sit still because it's uncomfortable no and you finally hit a breaking point where you lose it yeah. and that's where I'm at right now where I'm like I burnt out fried out started getting panic attacks again and I'm like what the fuck is so going same on? so I am so literally unwilling. I think the death of my dog sort of pushed me over the edge. I think as it would anybody, but it really did. I was like still being like optimistic. And then Bruno died and I was like, everyone can also die. Um, anyone with a <laughs> like dog, that was it. love your dog. Do you love your dog? Great, miss mine. Psycho. <laughs> but I did, I started getting panic attacks. I haven't had panic attacks in a long time. Not probably since I was like 20. And I was like, fuck girl, like, okay, well, we'll just sit in it. But... This is a new, I want different results. So I have to do different things. And so I also used to say I like to work because I can only count on myself. And it's true. Like I, if I don't make rent this month, I don't, I don't make rent. There's, I don't have a call. I don't have a buddy system. I never have since I've been 16. There's, there's no anybody else. I mean, I have my partner now and she's amazing, but like when shit goes down, that's on me. There, there's no bailout. So 
that's my anxiety as well. I have to work a lot. I don't want to be poor again. I have to make sure I have everything I need. I can only count on myself. Again, all ego. And all ego is this fear. So it's like when you're thinking like, oh, ego. No, it's just like a fucking scared guy, you know? And we're killing scared guy right now. One time my um, fucking stupid Lisa, Lisa, my partner, I had a therapist say you need to... um, you need to name your ego. And whenever he comes out or she comes out, you have to talk to your ego. People must think I look so fucking crazy in public because I do all <laughs> kinds of random shit. I'm like, stop it now, ego. But Lisa's like, I think you should name your ego tiny. And I was like, why? And she's like, because when you get mad, I am only 5'2". She's like, mm-hmm. when you get mad, you like kind of bolster around like a little tiny pit bull. And I was like, first of all, bitch, don't like, call fuck me off, like that. First of all, first of all I'm strong. <laughs> but then I was like, fine, tiny, tiny's the name. So when I, we're just really giving everybody the tea right now. But when I am in my fear base, I'm like, okay, tiny, I see that you're trying to show up right now, but you have to go into the corner. You are not warranted here. And honestly, it helps. Okay. Like it helps me. And I'm sure like when you first heard that, you were like, really? Like, this is what you want me to yeah, do? Yeah, I was like, but- listen, bitch, I'm not paying you to have me talk to myself. You talk to me. You're making me look crazy. Yeah, okay. If I didn't already look insane, yeah, let me just go talk to my eight fucking personalities in Ralph's over the fucking pineapples. Yeah, you got it. That just reminded, reminded me of the movie Splice when he has all these like personalities that come out. Have you seen or split? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he actually has like a multiple personality disorder, but I always thought about, I joked because... Um, there was a statement was like, it wasn't me, it was Patricia. And whenever I like get upset, like I joke with my boyfriend, I'm like, I think that, but that's, that's it though. It's, it's like funny as ego. that is like, I feel it when it comes out now, because I don't think I ever used to have this protectiveness, but I'm the same way as you. If shit doesn't get done, there's no one to call. Like, yes, I'm not alone in this world. I'm sure there are people who wouldn't let me fall on my fucking ass and be on the street. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like they're my responsibilities. Like I pay my bills. So where's the balance of letting your ego die a little bit that you know that you can calm down a little bit, but also knowing that you have to take care of it. So yeah, I, that's a little the position tricky. I'm in. I think I have to just... I will say that I have really tried to just let go, like really just let go. And the money comes, like it does come. It, it always ends. If you think about your worst day of your whole life, bitch, you're still here. You made it. Yeah. Like nothing really that bad happened. And when people used to say that to me, I was like, you don't know my life. Yes, it was the worst day. And I never recovered. Like, I, you know, and now I'm like, oh, we were fine. Yeah, let me play the victim really quick. Yeah, Can I just have a moment? Yeah, I need to. I need to just have <laughs> I need to feel bad about myself for a second. Okay, it was really fucking, fucking hard to do that. OK, <laughs> I had a really hard life. But you're right, though. The money does come. I mean, you still have to do the work. Yeah. But you don't have to, like, hyper fixate it on, on it so much, because if you do let go and just like stay on your path, it will come. Yeah. And it does actually come more in abundance if you think more abundantly. And I remember when someone told me that before, I'm like, I'm fucking broke. How dare you say that to me? Like, oh, oh the money will just come. I'm like, uh, how? Like where? Yeah. But when I let go, there were situations that popped up that was like, okay, here's this job. Here's this job. Now all of a sudden I have a bazillion jobs again, but now I'm burning out because now I'm hustling too hard where it's like, you know, the they say like grind and hustle and like be all that stuff that you were talking about. But at the end of the day, you could do so much that you burn yourself out and then you have nothing. And listen, I love a burnout. 
I know her so well. And I will say that into this next however many years of life, I am truly, I am no longer willing to not ask for help. I will ask for all of the help. I am no longer willing to do jobs that I don't want to do. I got offered a really big gig um, last week. And on paper, you'd be like, and you should take it, jobless bitch. (laughs) And I was like, I could. And then I was like, "Mm, no, it doesn't align with me anymore. And I've never been like, like, I'm just like, yeah, we'll do the the things. And then I was like, "Mm, no, I don't really want to sing that much with this kind of not my vibe. No, I'm not doing it. And I just like let it go. And I was like, no, thank you. And it really felt so freeing. Like old me would have been jump on it that I did that. But I'm living in peace now. Like I don't want to be hustle girl anymore. I'm tired. I want to relax, enjoy my life, enjoy my time. I have nothing to prove. I know how to make money. I know how to keep a career. I know how to do it all. I'm just going to fucking chill, you know? And so that sounds scary maybe or lazy, but it's not. Well, it's not also because you're making room for other opportunities to present themselves to you that might be more in alignment with you. Yeah. Because if you took that gig and then something comes up, what if you can't take it? And how many times has that happened? A bazillion, I'm sure. Yeah. Like I've overcommitted so many times that it's kept me from actually doing the things that I really need to do or even having the time or energy to focus on the things that I need to do because I'm too busy doing a bazillion and one different things that I think are just going to bring me more money. But I think that, you know, came from living in a scarcity, a place of scarcity, and then also a place of literally hitting rock bottom where I had no money. So I felt stuck. So I was like, you know what? I'm never going to let this happen again to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have all the money because I'll never need someone to take care of me, which is like, it can be really toxic to like think in a way like that where you're like, I'll never ask for help because I can't depend on anybody but myself. It is toxic and not in like a toxic way. It's just fear-based, which isn't helpful or healthy to us. Right. I think you really have to understand like where that's coming from and find the balance. And I say that because I need to do that. Yeah. Myself. Uh, But I'm doing (laughs) it right now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah. Well, it just, we're all, I think we're all just doing this life thing the best that we can. So I'm really thankful you were able to come and share all that vulnerability because it's going to be really helpful to people listening, I think. And, you know, we might not hear all the feedback online because not everyone shares their take on things that get put out there. But I think this message is really important and not even the specifics, but the message of like really knowing yourself and figuring out why you are the way you are and processing things so you can live your best life. And, you know, People might be scared to speak up about that, but I think that more people than we think are actually going through the same things. Yeah. So thank you for taking your time to share that. Thank you, and when can we expect your podcast? Uh, next month. Oh my gosh, I'll it's soon. A little update. Okay, I know. Awesome. I'm so proud of it. And your podcast is amazing. Thank you for being fearless as fuck and having these conversations that are so needed. Of course. I'll stop working so much. Yeah, we'll keep doing more of these. We'll and take, we'll, we'll drop Michaela's information on here too. So make sure to follow her on Instagram and give her podcast page a follow. I'm sure it is in her bio as well. And like always, if there are any topics that you guys want to see my guest and I talk about, make sure to let us know. And I'm sure I can speak for both of us when our DM boxes are open for any and all questions. So we'll see you guys next time. 